Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Lubert. If you would like to be a part of the show, give me a comment, give me a question, give me a whatever. Uh, you can always find my contact information in the description of this show, or you could call that listener hotline at 303-832-0217. I have to start the show today with this question that came into the Driving You Crazy inbox. One of the strangest questions that has ever found its way onto my desk. <laughs> Here is how it started. Aloha. So you know it's going to be good. Over the past several years, I've noticed a distinct change in the viscosity of the moisture that accumulates on my windshield overnight. Even new wipers prove ineffective and only smear the residue about. This, combined with the early morning sun rising, significantly impacts my ability to see the road at times in oncoming traffic at intersections when turning left. I know I could sit and run the defroster to clear it, but in years past, I don't recall having to resort to such, quote, extreme, unquote, measures during the seasonal transition period. I've heard others express the same frustration recently. What gives? Mahalo, Derek. (laughs) The best part of this email is that first line and the part about the viscosity of the moisture that accumulates on the windshield. (laughs) How does he know what the viscosity of the different moistures that accumulate on his on his windshield are <laughs> I didn't know I, I think dew is due and that's pretty much the way it is how how is how has he been keeping track of such <laughs> such a thing I mean the moisture collecting there is just condensation from the inside of the car being warmer than the outside of the car and moist air being in there and it being cooler outside I, I didn't really want to get into it with Derek but the change in viscosity is probably from all the grime and dust and maybe goop that's in his car, uh, <laughs> or the air that he's breathing. I didn't get into the uh, uh, question if he's a smoker or or not. That could probably change the viscosity of the uh, <laughs> moisture that's accumulating on his windshield overnight. As you know, when you're uh, when you're breathing a lot, you have a lot of moisture in the air, and you do that when you're smoking stuff. Anyway, this is what I wrote back to Derek. Hi, Derek. Thanks for the question. The reason for the moisture is that this spring and summer have been very rainy in Colorado, and it means that it has been much more humid than normal. And all that moisture in the air leads to lots of moisture that collects on just about everything that's left outside, like your car. And now that that the mornings are getting colder, the problem will be more pronounced. This is where I could have told Derek, that the inside of the windshield needs to probably be cleaned once a month. Uh, I didn't. But you should try it. I mean, it really does help with seeing better out of your windshield. All right, so my email to Derek continues. The easiest way to clear it out is to wipe out the condensation and then run the heater. That should dry it out fairly quickly. One out-of-the-box ideas is to get a bunch of those a little or maybe a couple big, larger silica bag moisture absorbers the same thing you might see in a new toy or package that helps absorb moisture in the air, can do the same thing for your car. Usually, it's very dry around the state, so we don't get this kind of condensation like this every year. 
It happens all the time in more humid areas like the southeast U.S., so be thankful we don't live there. Again, thanks for the question. Be safe out there, Jason. I added <laughs> the added problem that happens in very warm and humid areas like Florida, Mississippi, uh, it, you know, East Coast areas is that the repeated condensation can grow mold and mildew if it's not dried out. And then you have a real problem. Normally, it's so dry out here in the West that it's not a problem. But this year has been especially wet. It's, it's nice to see because we, we always could use the moisture, but we live actually technically in a semi-arid climate on the east side of the Rocky Mountains, and uh, the, there are unintended consequences of having uh, extra rain, which includes apparently moisture <laughs> collecting uh, on some driver's car's windshield. Uh, <laughs> so you would enjoy that. All right, this from the Aspen Daily News. The Aspen City Council took a step towards the potential application of a 15-mile-an-hour speed limit through town. Now, I don't know if you think that will help, or it won't. Usually, it doesn't. Um, usually, when you tell people to go really slow on, on main streets or, or other town or town roads, they won't do it, and they're going to drive. There's there's a, a, I remember seeing these speed limit signs 15 miles an hour in Telluride the last time I was there, um, and it just feels uncomfortably slow. Um, I, I don't know if, you're, if they're running radar in these areas, but... Uh, maybe it's just a reminder. Hey, slow down in these spots. Which which I am forward uh, for uh, all four. Uh, anyway, Aspen Daily News article continues. Uh, the speed limit likely would include several exceptions, including Main and Mill Streets. Council voted four to one to move forward in the approval process. City staff has been exploring ways to alleviate traffic concerns, particularly in the West End for many years. The only council member to oppose the measure said he didn't think it would be necessary or effective. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that person. Uh, Quote, I just don't see that this is going to have any effect on the safety around town. I see that it creates a labyrinth of different speed limits and enforcement in different areas. From an engineering standpoint, it's not warranted, unquote. The mayor came out in strong support of the ordinance, even advocating for a more expansive application of the new speed limit than the city staff proposed. Mayor Tor argued that Ute Avenue, which the city staff had proposed to exempt from the speed limit ordinance, should be included. He also argued that Cemetery Lane should have its speed limit reduced from 25 to 20. Quote, if you have any thoughts about making our community, I think, safer and making people more aware that they're going too fast for different neighborhoods, and this is what we need to do, unquote. They want feedback from residents of other neighborhoods before applying the speed limit universally. City staff generally recommended against imposing the new speed limit or otherwise pointed out challenges or negative impacts it could bring about. City manager Sarah Ott said she was recommending against the ordinance. Ott said that while some other ski towns, including Telluride, uh, that I just mentioned, uh, Crested Butte and Vail have 15-mile-an-hour limits. Yes, they do. Uh, they exist on specific streets where studies have shown it to be effective. Ott also said that any time applying the 15-mile-an-hour speed limit through the entire town would be very unconventional for municipalities in Colorado. Police Chief Kim Ferber said this limit would likely create additional pressures for the police department, including increasing requests for service and an increased perception of speeders. Ferber said enforcing 15 miles an hour in areas that already have low speed limits is generally difficult. 
Uh, I completely agree. So I think it's more of a uh, show kind of a measure and, and move by the city of Aspen to say we don't want speeding in or people driving quickly uh, around uh, the residential neighborhoods in our town. And, and that's that's perfectly fine. You can put the 15 mile an hour on there. Uh, will people follow it? Some will. Most won't. Um, because you, you're usually given a five mile an hour uh, leeway, right? But it, when you have a small town like Aspen, it, it could it can work. If you have a larger city uh, like Nashville or St. Louis or uh, Portland, it's it's not going to work a, as well as as you might think. Um, and and that's what safety advocates say. Just lower the speed limit all the way to ten, and it, it'll force people to slow down. And then we're we're yes, but there's also has to be a balance between moving. Uh, getting people from where they need to go to where they need to go, and also protect protecting the the citizens. So maybe there should be corridors where you have a little bit higher speed limit, and then uh, other areas, residential areas, where you have lower speed limit. That just makes that just makes sense. Anyway, I thought it was interesting there uh, from Aspen that they're lowering the speed limit to fifteen, and it will probably be coming to other. Uh, mountain towns, at least here in Colorado, uh, and maybe to your town as well before too long. Before I get to this uh, interesting story about uh, the most famous streets in America, uh, according to Instagram and the uh, travel site WanderU, I wanted to answer a question that came into the Driving You Crazy inbox. It was from Justin from Golden, Colorado, who wrote to me saying, What's driving you crazy? A lot of vehicles, mostly large trucks and service vehicles, have stickers or signs on them that say something to the effect of stay X number of feet behind, not responsible for broken windshields. Do these stickers or signs have any legal standing? If my windshield is broken because of unsecured material flying off someone else's vehicle, are they truly not responsible just because they have a sticker or sign? The sides of our highway, Justin, are littered with debris uh, that has fallen out of moving vehicles. You, you see it in every city in America. And that sign that you see on the back of mostly grabbing, gravel hauling trucks does not remove the driver's or vehicle owner's liability if your vehicle is damaged by something that fell out. When a driver, including ones of large trucks, doesn't secure a load properly and that stuff, whether it be a mattress or a couch or a rock, comes out of their vehicle and hits your vehicle, the Colorado State Patrol considers that a crash. Trooper Josh Lewis with the CSP tells me just like after a conventional crash, that incident would need to be reported to local law enforcement. He says in these cases... It isn't vehicle versus vehicle, but matter from a vehicle causing unintentional damage. Since it happened to another vehicle while they were moving, that still constitutes a crash, and it falls under that definition and would be investigated just the same, unquote. Michael Laszlo from Laszlo Law in Boulder, Colorado, says these signs have zero legal effect. Quote, if I wear a t-shirt that says, not responsible for punching you in the face, and I walk up and punch you in the face, am I responsible for your broken nose? The simple fact is that we are all responsible for the damage we in intentionally or negligently cause to others, unquote. Trooper Lewis concurs, saying that any sign on the back of a truck is not a legal binding way to get out of possible liability, saying if something comes off or out of the vehicle and that something causes damage, that sign is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. They're still responsible and liable for that damage. Even though the sign does not limit the driver's or company's liability, 
It's also a very good warning that if you can read the sign that says that they're not responsible for the cracked windshield, you're probably too close, and maybe it's best to back off a little bit. Trooper Lewis tells me, unfortunately, a lot of drivers who drop something out of their vehicle, including gravel, usually don't realize they're spilling a load. He suggests trying to get as much information as possible about the vehicle that lost the load, including a description of the vehicle, uh, a description of the driver, plate number, DOT number from the truck. And it also really helps to have a phone camera or dash cam uh, video that you can share with law enforcement. He says all of that information will help in the investigation especially if any insurance claims are being made. Laszlo says proving where the item came from, though, would be challenging given the low cost of a new windshield and the likelihood that insurance would just cover the cost. The effort to prove your case in court generally isn't worth it. Depending on the situation, drivers who lose a load could be charged with a violation if they fail to cover the load properly and it spills on the highway. Trooper Lewis tells me the fines could be as low as $35 or as high as $131, plus three points on the license, depending on the situation. The offender could even get a citation for littering at the very least. Trooper Lewis tells me the consequences of a spilled load are magnified if someone gets hurt. If the crash with the lost load causes bodily injury, then that's an automatic summons to court, he says. The situation is different if something like a rock or other debris is already on the road. If that is kicked up by the vehicle in front of you, in that situation where your vehicle is damaged, Trooper Lewis tells me you're out of luck. He says the chances are pretty good, though, that you have unknowingly damaged someone else's property, and that liability extends to something that comes out of or off of another vehicle that then causes damage. If this happens to you, there is a form that you can fill out. I I think it's not just with the Colorado State Patrol, but most states have a form that could be filled out uh, after the fact of a crash uh, a report, and then you would just report that to your local state patrol, whatever, whatever state you're in, and then contact your insurance company to repair the damage. So that's what happens. So if you see one of those trucks driving around that says not broken, uh, responsible for broken windshields, in fact, they, they are responsible for, you, <laughs> for your broken windshield. In the age of Instagram, Uh, capturing the essence of a place in a single photo has become an art form. Think about it. When you you picture certain destinations, a very distinct image comes to mind. Like for beach towns, there's always that shot of white sand and crystal clear blue water, maybe framed by palm trees. In many cities, it's the the skyline. Think Seattle. Think St. Louis with the arch. Chicago with the tall buildings. Uh, Or maybe just a single street. Um, you know, think, think, uh, maybe in New York city, some single streets that are, are quite recognizable. The people at the travel site called wander you wander with the letter U, uh, rank the most famous streets in America, according to the number of pictures that are taken and posted to Instagram to develop this ranking. They searched three hashtags for each famous street being a true top 20 list here. I will have to start with number 20. And work our way up to number one. So here we go. Number 20, Front Street in Sacramento, California. If you've ever been to Sacramento, then it's uh, it's like their main, uh, it's right off the highway. It's one of their main streets that's right on the river, uh, the Sacramento River. And uh, they do have uh, uh, some pretty picturesque areas there along Front Street. Um, So it's, you know, an old... um, 
uh, Sacramento. Uh, they have some boats there and some uh, like Joe's Crab Shack and that sort of stuff. So, uh, so that comes in at number twenty. And number nineteen, East Exchange Avenue in Fort Worth, Texas, basically the National Historic District there in Fort Worth, where they'll have the stockyards and. Um, uh, I think the, uh, honky tonk bars are around there, that sort of thing. So that's, uh, that's yeah. East exchange Avenue in Fort Worth, a uh, number 18 Lake shore drive in Chicago, which is just gorgeous. Cause you have the lake, you have the city, and then you have some really pretty houses, depending on what part of uh, Lake shore drive you are on there in Chicago. Coming in at number 17 is Santana row in San Jose, California, which is, they say, Silicon Valley's premier destination for shopping, dining, living, working, and playing. Uh, so they, I have never been to uh, Santana Row, nor to San Jose, so I can't talk much about it. Uh, Calle Ocho in Miami, Florida, which is basically the main thoroughfare through uh, Little Havana, through the Cuban culture there in Miami, it is really cool spot, uh, really good restaurants there. It's just an interesting scene there uh, in Miami. Coming in at number 15 is Newberry Street there in Boston. Uh, they say it's a popular shopping and dining and entertainment district, and it has beautiful, apparently, 19th century brownstones, homes to hun- home, home to hundreds of retail locations and, and uh, restaurants. And because of the uh, number of upscale boutiques and shops, it has earned a reputation as one of the most expensive streets in the world. Number 14, Beale Street in Memphis, Tennessee. We all know walking on Beale Street, right? Uh, walking in Memphis from <laughs> singer Mark Cohn. Well, it's uh, home to all kinds of different restaurants and uh, music venues and all that kind of stuff there in uh, lovely Memphis. Coming in at number 13 is Alamo Square in San Francisco. If you saw the picture... Then, then you would instantly recognize it. It's the intersection of Hayes and Steiner Streets there in San Francisco. And, and the row of houses, you've seen it on the show, uh, uh, Full House, and it's uh, the Painted Ladies, those uh, Victorian homes that are right there all in a row with the city behind it. Uh, you've, I mean, it is one of the most uh, iconic San Francisco pictures there is. Coming in at number 12 is, in California, it's the Abbott Kinney Boulevard. It's a, it's a mile-long strip, and it has some of the latest fashion shops, uh, art, food, uh, right there near Venice Beach, basically, uh, is what uh, Abbott Kinney Boulevard is all about. And rounding out the top 20 is, in number 11, uh, 6th Street in Austin, Texas, which is basically their historic street entertainment district in downtown Austin. Uh, where they have all kinds of uh, restaurants and bars and and places where you can listen to music and apparently have a swell old time. All right, so now we're going into the top 10. These are the now top 10 of the most famous streets as ranked by wanderu.com, uh the most famous streets in America. They actually wrote a little uh, a little uh, a section of each top 10 uh, street. Uh, so we can know a little bit more about the top 10 streets. So here we go. At number 10, Melrose Avenue in Los Angeles, California. Trendy Melrose Avenue is a dynamic hotspot where L.A.'s funky, creative crowd meets posh, fashion-forward culture. Artists, fashionistas, and influencers flock to Melrose where you'll encounter everything from street art to high-end restaurants and funky boutiques. 
The street runs through the heart of West Hollywood between Santa Monica Boulevard and Beverly Boulevard. It's a fusion of art, fashion, and urban energy, making it a breeding ground for the latest trends and unique experiences. Uh, there's only one place that symbolizes the city's fashion-forward identity, and this is it. All right, so that's <laughs> number 10, Melrose Avenue in L.A. Uh, number nine, Lombard Street in San Francisco, California, with the nickname the crookedest street in the world. It's no wonder that Lombard Street is famous, bending right in, blending right into San Francisco's hilly landscape. It runs from Hyde Street to Leavenworth in the Russian Hill neighborhood. Lombard Street actually runs about three miles, but the most famous part of it is just like one block long, and it is it, it's steep. It does have these uh, real sharp zigzaggy turns. I think there's eight of them or so that goes uh, down the hill. You have to go down the hill. You can't go up the hill. And there's actually people that live there. Last time we were in San Francisco uh, about six months ago, we t- I took the kids to Lombard Street, and there are people trying to get into their houses, and they're just I- – I guess if you if you live there, you know that it is uh, going to be busy because people are going to be – hanging out uh, on Lombard Street. Uh, number eight, Michigan Avenue in Chicago, Illinois, a.k.a. The, AKA the Magnificent Mile. And they say it perfectly represents Chicago's elegancy and vibrancy. Stretching north from Chicago River, the street is a mecca for shoppers, foodies, and cultural enthusiasts alike. It's not quite the same as it used to be. Uh, when I was in Chicago a year ago, it is not the same Magnificent Mile, Michigan Avenue, as you might remember. It has been changed just because of the way Chicago has changed uh, over the last several years. And it just doesn't have the same feel to it. Even though there are some pretty cool streets in Chicago, I'm not sure that uh, I would put Michigan Avenue back on the on the top ten now. Uh, Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, California, in the heart of L.A., this legendary street best known for the Hollywood Walk of Fame is magnet for tourists and dreamers offering a journey through the history of the entertainment industry. The overall vibe is a unique blend of nostalgia, celebrity, allure, and creativity as the street pulses with palpable energy. Uh, yeah, it's it's neat uh, to see the uh, all those different stars and uh, to see the uh, Chinese theater and all the different stops uh, that are there in Hollywood. And, you know, of course, Hollywood Boulevard is... Uh, obviously one of the most famous streets in America. Number six, uh, Fifth Avenue, New York City, stretching from Washington Square Park in Greenwich Village to Harlem. Fifth Avenue is a storied street that beckons travelers and local Manhattanites alike with its magnetic charm. The folks at Wander U, uh, who ranked uh, this uh, <laughs> these streets, uh, continue to say about Fifth Avenue, the section between 49th and 60th is arguably the most famous line with historic buildings, designer stores, representing some of the most recognizable names in fashion, like Tiffany & Company, Louis Vuitton. No surprise that this upper stretch, upper Fifth Avenue, is the most expensive shopping street in the world. Number five, the Las Vegas Strip in Las Vegas, Nevada. When you think famous streets, there's a good chance the Strip is one of the first things that pop in your mind. The dazzling neon-lit boulevard in the heart of Las Vegas stands in testament to the city's unmatched entertainment and vibrant en- energy. And and right now, the Strip is going through a transformation. They have a, uh, a Formula One race that will be going uh, down part of the Strip. And I think the race is in November, and apparently putting up scaffolding and... and, uh, and uh, uh, fences and turning things like uh, the fountains. I think the Bellagio are off, maybe something like that. But they're 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 putting up fencing and changing, and they cut down all the trees uh, in the in the strip 
so they can have re- be ready for this race uh, that's coming up in November. I'll be in uh, Las Vegas very soon, and I will uh, report back about what's going on in our uh, Las Vegas uh, city. I haven't been there in quite some time, so it'll be nice to get back there and see how the city has definitely changed. Uh, number four most famous uh, uh, picturesque street in, in America, Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles, located in the upscale neighborhood of Beverly Hills. Rodeo Drive is the epitome of luxury and glamour. This fashion and shopping destination attracts fashionistas, celebrities, and wanderers alike. The picturesque palm tree line stretch of boutiques and designer storefronts offer the latest trends and timeless classics. It's the ultimate who's who of the fashion world, so expect to see ultra-luxe brands on that street. Number three, Bourbon Street. In New Orleans, Louisiana, one of the world's most famous streets, Bourbon Street is synonymous with New Orleans in the heart of the French Quarter, renowned for its rich history, culture, and unique character, Bourbon Street is a sensory explosion with colorful only in New Orleans architecture, flickering gas street lamps, and a bustling atmosphere by day. It exudes a laid-back charm, inviting you to explore its antique shops and quaint cafes. When the sun sets, the real magic happens, and Bourbon Street becomes the world of street performers, neon lights, and live jazz. It also smells like an open toilet. (laughs) It does. Bourbon Street smells like a mix of a toilet and stale beer from about three weeks ago. Uh, and, And it really needs a good hose down every, probably every night. But at least every so often, they need to hose down Bourbon Street because it really smells. It's If you've never been there in the summer with the humidity and the hot, and it stinks. It really does. Sure, the beignets are delicious uh, when you go to New Orleans. But I'm telling you, Bourbon Street smells uh, like a sewer. Uh, number two <laughs> here on this list uh, from the travel site Wander You, ranking the most famous streets in America. Number two on the list, Northwest 2nd Avenue in Miami, Florida. The only Miami street that might rival Ocean Drive is Northwest 2nd Avenue, home of the Wynn Woods Walls, an Instagram-worthy paradise. This famously artsy neighborhood is a colorful explosion of street art and murals. It essentially is an open-air art gallery featuring masterpieces, including graffiti and urban art from world-renowned artists. Uh, I still think Ocean Drive there in uh, Miami Beach is probably one of the more, I would put my, yeah, I would, well, hey, I guess I should have looked at number one. Uh, The number one (laughs) most famous street in America as ranked by the travel site Wander You is Ocean Drive in Miami, Florida. The heart and soul of iconic South Beach, Ocean Drive runs from 1st to 15th Street between the vibrant city of Miami and the shimmering Atlantic. It's a mesmerizing blend of palm tree, palm lined streets, pastel colored art deco architecture, neon signs, and an electric atmosphere unlike anywhere else. All at once, it's a glamorous and laid back and chic hub of nightlife and relaxed beach town. Uh, my favorite place there in uh, on South Beach is this place called uh, the News cafe now the news cafe is this uh cafe there in in miami right there on miami beach and it uh they're open 24 7 so you can get uh, any basically any cafe food you would you would want at, at all hours and it's just a fun little place to hang out especially in the early morning uh when you so uh, we've taken my wife and i before we had kids we we've taken a couple of overnight flights to miami 
we would get right into our rental car and then drive down to the beach, uh, go grab some breakfast at News Cafe, just kind of hang out for a bit, and then grab some uh, grab some waters and and, <laughs> and then hang out at the beach and get a, a chair with some uh, with a uh, an umbrella and then sleep until our hotel would open where we could check in and then wash off. Uh, so no, but News Cafe. I've spent many times uh, there and it's just a really cool place there on Miami Beach. But anyway, that right there was your top twenty list of the most famous streets in America, according to the travel site Wander You. Uh, I've never heard of Wander You, and I probably will never hear of Wander You again. If you want, uh, here I'll put the uh, link to this. Uh, blog article there in the description of the show. All right, there you go. There you have it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.